this morning we wanted to talk about how you can transition from just knowing that he's out there, but he feels so inaccessible, to knowing that he's in here and he's living and he's active and he's walking with you through your life. So I wanted to start with, um, so I wanted to start with John 15, 15. It says, I no longer call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. How many of you guys want a friendship with the Lord? I think that's something that all of us can say. We don't want to just have him far off. I've looked at you guys. I know you guys. You guys are my family. I know that you want him. I know that you want to be close with him, that you want him to be more than just a far off God, but you want him to be your friend. So let's read that again. We can memorize verses like this and we can cling to it and we can say, yeah, do you see that? We're no longer servants. We're friends with God. Do you see this? That's what this verse is saying. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong to want that. We should desire that. But let's read this verse again. I no longer call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for I, everything that I have heard, I have made known to you. A lot of people can take this verse outside of its context and just cling to it, but let's think about it for a second. Jesus spoke these words at the Last Supper, meaning this. He spoke it to his disciples who were following him for years. And this verse indicates that you at one point, these disciples were servants. They started as servants. So I wanted to tell you this morning, if you want to be friends with God, the foundation is being his servant. It starts with lordship. Eventually, we are friends of God. We get to know his deep, intimate thoughts, but it starts with lordship. That is the foundation of our faith. So I wanted to go ahead and keep moving. And I just wanted the big heartbeat, the thing that I've had in my mind for months and months that I've been stewing on for months is this idea that you cannot have friendship with God without lordship. You, we can often read these verses, and we want to skip straight to the friendship without the lordship. And you cannot have one without the other, and it always, always, always starts with lordship. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. So think about it. How can you be friends with somebody that you fear? Well, we're not talking about being afraid of God, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. But first I wanted to show you what this word friendship means, because I think it's important and valuable. That word friendship is the Hebrew word sowed. Everybody say sowed. Congratulations, you know Hebrew. Just one word, but you know. <laughs> it's a word that means confides in. It's a word that means assembly, secret council, intimate circle. He makes known his covenant to people 
who fear him. He brings you into his inner circle when you fear him. And I think about, you know, when I think about the council, the secret council, I think about in Lord of the Rings when they have this, big, this little council of people to decide what they're going to do with the ring. And I don't know what, about you guys, but I want to be part of the secret council of God. When I think about that and imagine that God is sitting in that circle, I don't want to be just another person who reaps the consequences of what's going on in the inner circle. I want to be in it. And I think that's what we were all created for. So I want to go to kind of talk to you about the fear of the Lord, because that word is so vague. We can read that, and it just feels so overwhelming that we just skip through it. Half the time, we just do that because we're like, that seems scary. The fear of the Lord seems scary. So let's just pretend that I know what that means and keep going in Scripture, but I really wanted to break it down. So let's go to Exodus 20, 18 through 21. Wow, no pages are flipping in Bibles. That's cool. (laughs) You guys all have phones. Okay. So this scripture takes place when Moses and the people of Israel go out of Egypt and they're at Mount Sinai. Now, if you don't know what Mount Sinai is, that in the Old Testament is this big landmark that the people of Israel just love to talk about because it is the place that God came. It's a a place that his glory was shown. And because of that, this is really important. And I'm going to be talking about the difference between fearing God and having a fear of the Lord. So let's read it. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near into the thick darkness where God was. So we're talking about the the Israelites going to Mount Sinai. Now, God basically said at the base of the mountain, all of the people can, of Israel are supposed to show up, stand right there. They cannot go up the mountain, but they can stand right there, and I want to show my glory, and I want to show how powerful I am and how big I am, and when they see that, they will fear me, not scared, but they will be in awe of me and how big I am, and that will keep them from sinning. And that was God's plan. That was his desire for the people of Israel. But here we have a very different picture of fear. (laughs) We have the people of Israel who are supposed to be here looking up at the mountain and seeing the glory of God. And actually the reality is they're like, you do it, Moses. Go, Moses. (laughs) They were scared they were scared of God. They were scared when they saw it, who, how big he was and how glorious he was. And instead of knowing who he was and that he was for him, they were scared of God. Now that is not the fear of the Lord. The, the, that, was, that was not what God's best was for those people. So here we have those people 
who were supposed to be magnifying God, seeing how big he was, and that was supposed to keep them from sinning, and they're far off. And in contrast, here we have Moses, who's literally walking into the clouds that are like, he's going in. He had a fear of the Lord because he wanted to be with them. Now, by the way, Moses was known for being a friend of God. That was one of the things that he has talked about in the Bible. So the question is, when you see his presence, when you come into his presence, what is your emotions? What are your thoughts? Are you afraid of him when you come into his presence? When you open this Bible, are you afraid of what he's going to bring up? Are you scared of what he's going to say to you? Are you standing far off when he wants to show you his glory? Because... When we open the Bible, Philippians talks about that we are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And that's not talking about being scared. That's talking about seeing him, seeing how big he is, and trembling at his word. And when's the last time that God has told you something and you trembled at his word? Because that is supposed to be the heartbeat of a Christian, is that we want, we see him, We know how big he is, and we love it. We are going in to that cloud. We see how big and how giant he is, and we're not scared. We're not the sort of people who shrink back. When we are a Christian, that means we're going into the glory. So what do you do when he talks to you? What's your response when he brings things up in your life? I always tell my children, slow obedience is disobedience. How quick are you to obey the voice of God in your life? Now, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, what did he do? What did he do? He did not sleep in the next day. The Bible says that he woke up early the next morning. He packed his wineskin. He's got this, you know, flint and some wood. And he's like, let's go, son. (laughs) Some people believe that he believed in the power of resurrection before Jesus was ever born. Isn't that incredible? This was a man who was also called a friend of God. He feared the Lord. He heard the voice of God in his life, and he did not shrink back. He was quick to obey the voice of God. And that's the people that we are. That's the people we're called to be. The question is, What are your conditions on obeying God? What are your conditions? Do you only obey him when it's convenient to you? Do you obey him but it takes you a while? Do you only obey him when you see a benefit? There was zero benefit for Abraham when he obeyed. Zero benefit. The only benefit for a Christian is that we have oneness with him. That is our only desire. That is the fixture of our mind, is that we are so obedient. There are zero conditions. There are zero places in our hearts that we hide from him. We, people who fear the Lord, people who fear the Lord, truly fear the Lord, have nothing to hide. 
We come into his presence and the veil is torn. And we say, I want all of it. And there's no part of my life that's untouchable to you. If you have parts of your life that are untouchable, that you won't let God have the throne, then you need to assess your fear of the Lord. Because we want God's eyes on us. And true fear of the Lord, the Bible says in Psalms that God's eyes are on those who fear him. God's eyes are on those who fear him. And if you feel like God's eyes are not on you, think about it. Assess it. Ask yourself why. Because God does not love Daniel more than he loves you. God does not love Tim more than he loves you. His eyes want to be on you, but he cannot look at sin. And he cannot look at people who do not fear him. The fear of the Lord is what brings you to intimacy. The fear of the Lord is what brings you to friendship. We want to skip the fear and go straight to the friendship, but that is not the way the kingdom of God works. It is not. So I wanted to share with you a story. A story about me. <laughs> um, a while back, Isaac, me, the kids, we went on a trip to Idaho Falls for a vacation this summer. It was the end of July. And I had been struggling because when I was single, I would spend hours in his presence just enjoying the Lord and allowing him to poke and prod me and allowing myself to just have such oneness with him. And I still spend time with him every day. But during this trip, I was struggling because I was like, I really want to have time without my kids, without my husband, I'm, and just be with him. I want to just be with him all the time, and I long to be with him, but I feel like even though I'm spending time with him, and even though he's talking to me, he's so gracious, I want to spend one-on-one -on -one time with him. And so I had been crying out for a while. I mean, people who are close to me can attest, I've been struggling with this for a while, and God finally gave me my answer. I was angry about it. <laughs> Psalm 119, 147 says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. <laughs> I am not a morning person. Let's read that again. I rise before dawn. I rise before dawn. I am not the type of person that you want to see at 7 a.m., okay? I'm the person you want to see at 10 a.m. And when I have little kids, I do not want to sacrifice more sleep. <laughs> And let's be honest, it was not just God telling me that I should wake up early. Everybody around me had told me, have you thought about waking up early? Rachel told me, McKenna told me, Carrie wakes up early. There were a lot of people who were like, maybe you should think about waking up early, I don't know. And I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not going to do it until God himself tells me. Well, let's be honest. <laughs> when God himself told me, I did not want to do it. I did not want to do it. And this was not the only verse he gave me. I mean, it was verse after verse after verse. I think it was probably five different times that week that God had spoken to my heart, and it wasn't loud. He had spoken to my heart, wake up early to meet with me. And I didn't do it. 
A month and a half went by, guys. A month and a half. And I realized something. I did not fear him in this area of my life. My sleep was more valuable than my obedience. Now, it's not a sin for everybody because God had spoken it to me. But the Bible says that if God has told you what to do and you do not do it, it is sin. I didn't fear him. And I had a lot of people, I mean, I was honest about it. I said, this is what God's told me to do. Give me, I pray that, you know, can you just pray for me that I have strength to do it? I mean, Luke even said, I'll text you when I wake up. And Anna's like, yeah, do it to me too. So Luke texted both of us for a week straight. And I did not answer him. I left my phone on silent because I do not want somebody to wake me up. (laughs) And we can laugh about it, but the truth is this. God had told me to do something. He told me to do something, not because he was angry at me, not because he wanted to you know, discipline me, so he's like, I'm just going to bring this into your life to torture you. But because he loves me, he gave me an answer. And I didn't want his answer. So I said, this part of my heart is untouchable. Don't you dare touch my sleep, God. And you know what happened? After a few times over and over, he let me. He let me. He was still there. He still talked to me about other things. But I knew in my heart there was something between me and him. So this week, I finally woke up. (laughs) Monday morning, 6.45, I woke up. And I only got 15 minutes before my kids woke up. But it was 15 minutes of pure agony that I spent in the presence of God. (laughs) Tuesday morning, I woke up begrudgingly, got another 15 minutes in. Wednesday morning happened. And Wednesday morning, I got it because I didn't feel God those first two days. The third day, I mourned in his presence. I said, I can't believe I've done this to you. You're the God of my life. And I told you there was an area you couldn't touch. And I can't say it without because it hurts his heart. When we're disobedient, he is not just another person. He is the God of the ages. And I told him no. And that hurt his heart. And for the first time, that third day, Wednesday morning, I felt his presence fall. And I felt him with me, communing with me. Because for the first time, we were both grieving together at what I had done. We were on the same page and we could finally move forward. So the question is this, what in your life have you not given to him? What in your life is untouchable? Because it's not supposed to be untouchable. You do not fear God if you have things that are off limits. I'm gonna give it to Isaac. How am I supposed to follow that? Martin Luther says, he he had a quote that goes like this, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Let me say that again. 
whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. And it's absolutely true. For Caitlin, for a while, it was her pillow. <laughs> I don't know what it is for you. Hopefully, it's not anything other than the Lord. But the question is, is there something that is on the throne where he belongs? Is there something that's in between you and him? Is there something that's gotten in the way? Our relationship with God, it is truly the greatest gift we've ever been given, right? We say things like the salvation, it's, it's a gift from God, right? It comes out of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is a gift from God, but salvation is not just being saved. It's being brought back into relationship with him. And if it's truly the greatest gift that we've ever been given to be in relationship with the God of the universe, it requires maintenance, like any relationship does. It requires us to be conscious about the relationship and thinking about our decisions, about our life, about the choices we make, the words that we say, and whether or not it brings grief to the heart of God or not. So I got the fun part of today, talking about the grief of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and grieving God. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. of God, by whom... You were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I just feel like God's saying this service. I didn't say this last one. If you're not forgiving people, it's grieving him. It, it does. Paul wouldn't have put it here if it didn't. If you're not forgiving people in your life, it grieves him. And it's not to say that their actions that wronged you don't also grieve God. But that's not between you and God, right? Your relationship, you need to manage. Other people need to manage their relationship with the Lord. Amen. <laughs> How does one grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, I mentioned one. How do you grieve anyone, though? Because God is a person. He's a real being that has feelings. He has emotions. He's a real person. And you can grieve him the same way you can grieve anybody, which is by doing things you know would bother them. I know very well how to grieve Caitlin if I really wanted to. I could grieve her real easily. I can grieve my kids easily, too. All I have to do is take away Luella's stuffed animals, and boy, I would be in for it. <laughs> but I know what grieves them. Why? Because I know them. I have relationship with these people. The more you know somebody, the more you know their heart. Mm -hmm. The more you know what grieves them. And if you really want true friendship and relationship with God... You need to know what grieves him. This is an easy place to start. It's all in here. It's laid out. 
if you don't know this, how will you know what grieves him? How are you really truly going to know it? He'll speak to your heart in whispers, but it's going to be easy to miss it. It's laid out here so easily what grieves God's heart. And it's a great starting point. You cannot fear God and not take into consideration what grieves him. Let me say that again. You cannot fear God like Caitlin was talking about and not take into consideration what's going to grieve his heart, what's going to grieve his spirit. You, you got to think about it. I know for myself with my relationship with my wife, if I never took into consideration what grieves her, would I really have a fear of my wife? A healthy one, right? I would be very concerned about my marriage if I never considered my wife's opinions and what's important to her. And the same goes for our relationship with God. You need to consider what God wants. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, this is the passage I often use when people come to me and they're struggling in their marriage or best friends in youth group and they're not happy with each other. Weird. That never happens. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> yeah. It goes for any relationship, really. Any relationship you're in. Let me read it to you. And, and think of this as the framework of your relationship with God. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, like with the Lord, have the same mindset as Christ. How do you know what Christ's mindset is? If you read it for yourself, what follows, Paul lays out the life that Jesus lived. And he says that he was obedient, even to death on a cross. He was obedient to the point of where his life was in jeopardy. And he said, your will, not mine. It was all obedience. It was him putting the interests of the Father above his own interests. You hear it in the garden when he says, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup of wrath from me. I really don't want it. But what does he say? Not my will. It's yours. What are God's interests? They're found in here. They're found in his word. We live in the most biblically illiterate time of, our, of the world, really. Other than before the Bible was written. <laughs> <laughs> but we know the Bible as Christians across the globe. Maybe just America, I don't know. We do not know the word. <laughs> So no wonder why there's so much grief towards the Holy Spirit that's taking place in the church today. Because we don't know it, or we're kind of familiar with it, but like Caitlin said, we say, mm, I'm not going to put you in that place. You're not allowed to touch that. <laughs> but here, Lord, yes, friendship. I want it. <laughs> you can't have it without lordship. Ephesians, carrying on from the passage in Ephesians I read earlier. 
Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This word, imitators, is a Greek word that we in English get the word mimic from. You look the same as them. You're copying everything they do. And I got a funny example from this last Wednesday. I'm a youth pastor. Luke was preaching, and there was a couple of youth that were fooling around. They will remain nameless. <laughs> and I had to sit between them. I chose to sit between them. Maybe it wasn't the best decision. Because <laughs> when I sat between them, one of them immediately starts mimicking everything I'm doing. <laughs> like, no joke. You guys ever had a copycat? <laughs> I mean, I sit down, the way I'm sitting, they mimic, where I scratch and itch, they're mimicking. If I wipe my nose, they're mimicking it. If I move my hair, every move I made, they were copying me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why can't I get them this focused in any other areas? <laughs> but here's the thing. Our relationship with God should be pro-mimickers, especially if we've lived in relationship with God for years. Paul is telling the church, imitate him as beloved children, because that's what we're called, right? First John tells us that is who you are. We're children of God. Then why do so many of us not look like it? Why does so much of the church just look like the world? Statistically speaking, this is a statistic that comes from John Bevere, who says it's the most recent statistics out there. Just with pornography, 68% of men in the church look at pornography on a regular basis. And that's just sexual immorality. You can get into talking about the way that we use our words, abusive language. Just look on social media. It doesn't take long to find it, right? And it's not just coming from people that aren't in the church. It's coming from believers, too. We are to imitate God. The word be that comes just before this word, imitate, in the scripture, therefore be imitators of God. The word be can better be translated as become imitators of God, implying that you're not yet. You're not doing it right now. Another way it can be translated as well, it's what you get when you have languages you're translating, right? Another way it can be translated is keep on being imitators of God. So if you are being it, don't stop. Don't take a certain area of your life or a certain circle of people, a certain location, atmosphere, to change whether you look like God or not. It belongs everywhere. Everywhere you go. You cannot imitate God and continually do what grieves him. You can't. If I were to just continually grieve my wife, would you think that I have intimacy with God? <laughs> would you think I have in intimacy with my wife? No, we, we can fool ourselves all day long. I, God and I are good. I mean, he loves me, right? But it's not a question of whether he loves you. 
It's a question of whether he's pleased with you. What you do in your life, you should consider his heart. When you say words, you should consider, would it make the face of God uncomfortable? (laughs) You cannot imitate God and be continually doing what grieves him. Ephesians, going on in Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. That's what Tim had us do this morning, right? For you may be sure of this, that any... Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Like I shared, the the startling fact of pornography addiction that's present in the church already today. There are plenty of areas beyond just what I just read that grieve the heart of God. And like Caitlin shared, it affects your relationship with him. It puts a wedge between you and him. There's something off, and you're like, I I just don't get it. I can't enter into his presence. I feel like I'm just doing what I have to. There's no actual intimacy. There's no joy in your relationship with God. Is because you haven't gone to him, looked him in the face while he's grieving, and done what Caitlin said. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I treated you. I'm sorry for how I sinned against you. Please forgive me. And the enemy wants you to think he's just going to bring the hammer down on you, that it's over. You go to him like the Israelites, you're dead. But that's not the reality. That's not the truth. It says in his word, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. Imitators of God, that's what we're to walk like. It's not about whether God loves you, because he does, amen? James 4, 4 through 10, I want to give a little context to this passage. James kind of brings the hammer down on the church in this passage. But this is the thing. He's talking to people that are declaring themselves followers of Jesus, but they look like the world. They know what they're doing, they shouldn't be. And there's zero remorse for their actions. They have no sorrow for their behavior. While God is grieving. Listen to these words. He says, four, verse 4 through 10. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you... Suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously 
over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Amen for grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the what? The humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's talking to the church. He says, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. They showed no care at all that what they were doing was grieving God. They had no care about it. And he's saying, you guys are so happy. Why? You shouldn't be. Because what you're doing is breaking God's heart. Why are you filled with so much joy? It should go to sorrow. Because it's your turn to grieve now. When you come to God, you grieve with him. He changes you. The fear of the Lord is where friendship begins. It's also where it ends. Why does it grieve the Holy Spirit so much? It says there, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them. Have you thought about the way you speak, the things you do, the actions you make, as if it's God's temple doing it? Because that's the reality. You're having the temple of God do what you're doing. And that should grieve you. It should break your heart. It'll never get beyond this place of struggle in your relationship with God until you come to his face and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm done grieving you. I know that there's this elephant in the room every single time I try to get in your presence. And now I know why. James is giving them a chance, an opportunity to get things right with God. He says, you're still breathing, there's still a chance. Get it right. Don't go on living this life that you're doing and think that you're really an imitator of God because you're not. We are to be imitators of him. It says in 1 Thessalonians five nineteen through 22, do not quench the spirit. Say, do not quench. And it says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We can get on this perspective of, well, that's legalism. Well, Jesus was legalistic then, <laughs> right? It's not a matter of legalism. It's a matter of obedience. That's what it's all about. This word quench can also be translated as stifle, which is the idea of suffocating a fire. When you suffocate something. Now imagine if I were Caitlin in conversation with me, and I'm scared to even do this right now, and I just go like this, as she's talking, <laughs> Watch it, Derek. It's insulting, right? But how often do we do that with our relationship with God? He whispers to us, and we just shut him up. 
We say, no, I don't want to hear it. We say, can you talk about something else, please? No. God is all good. He's all perfect. His will is perfect for your life. So why would you want to quiet him? Why would you want to quench the spirit? In Ephesians 5, continuing on here, I don't think I even shared this last service. (laughs) We're going to wrap things up here. Katie, you can come on up. I'm going to have the prayer team come forward. But I want you to hear this. For at one time you were darkness. This is 5, 8 through 10. And I'll read 15 through 17 as well. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what pleases the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You will never be truly satisfied in relationship with God until you are living to please Him. You will never be truly satisfied in your relationship with Him Until what pleases him is all that you want. Until what pleases him is what pleases you. We need to take into consideration what grieves the heart of God. Because you do it with your own relationships, I hope. (laughs) You can't have a good relationship with somebody when you don't. Living to please God means living not to grieve him. What pleases God should consume you. It should be all that you care about. It should be every decision that you make when it comes to what you do with your day, with your time, with friends, what friends you have. It should consume you. So I know it's late. I'm going to have us... Just do that last song that we did. Jesus, come be the center. I want to give you a chance, an opportunity to humble yourself like James talks about. Get the thing right between you and him. If tears come, so be it. I've cried today way too many times already. (laughs) Have the heart of David where in Psalm 139 he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's worship. If you need to come up and get prayer for anything, please do so.
God, I just thank you so much that when we lift our eyes to you, when we lift our eyes to you, that you are quick to show us love and compassion. God, obedience is better than sacrifice. You don't care about any of our accolades. You just want us. You want our heart. And our obedience proves that it's yours. God, help us. Help us to see the ways that we grieve your heart. Help us to see the ways that our lives could look more like yours. God, we are a people who want to know you. We are a people who want to know you intimately. And I pray that we would remove every obstacle, every weight, and every sin that could entangle us. And we want to run with you. God, I pray that you would give us grace to see. Unveil our eyes. Give us grace to see your love. Give us grace to see the ways that we don't reflect you. And God, forgive us. Forgive us for every way that we've grieved you.